Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And before we roll into our episode, I want to remind you that you can reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. And I'm also on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy, AMI Lisa. And we also have a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. Uh, the group's closed, but just send a request and I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment free. And my only rule is keep it positive. Uh, and if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. And right now, if you do leave us a positive review on iTunes, you're automatically entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. We've already had one winner at 15 positive reviews, and once I get to 30, we will draw another winner. Right now, we're at 21, so getting pretty close. Uh, it's money directly out of my pocket, so if you like free money, uh, leave one today. Uh, and so I have a returning guest today, Christopher R. Mim. He's back. Say hi, Christopher. Hi. Hey, <laughs> welcome back. And uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself in case uh, my audience has not heard you or heard our previous episodes. Sure. Uh, my name is Christopher R. Mim. I am a writer, director, producer. Uh, I make cheesy 1950s-style B-movies. Uh, I refer to them as new, old, good, bad movies. They're, they're new, but they're made to look old, and they're good, but they're also bad, and that's what makes them good. So I make basically cheesy 50s movies. Uh, I've been on your show a couple times. Uh, and this is actually the first time I've been on your show where I'm not I'm talking about something other than my films, uh, which is is kind of fun and cool. And we've been talking about this episode, I think you and I, since we first met uh, yeah. <laughs> earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, and, and so this is exciting that we're finally doing it. But yeah, I make uh, cheesy movies like... Um, I'll give you some titles and tell you exactly what you need to know about what I do. Uh, I made a movie called The Giant Spider. Yes. Uh, I made a movie called uh, Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter. Uh, I made one called Attack of the Moon Zombies. Attack of the Moon Zombies. Uh, the Monster of Phantom Lake. Cheesy monster movies, like as if, like as if they were from the fifties, but they're not. They're new. They're amazing. I've been to a few of your live showings. It's always so fun like people dress up they get super into it you have very devoted fans uh quite uh in fact we just recently released one called guns of the apocalypse which is yes. my post-apocalyptic spaghetti midwestern i'm based in minneapolis so uh i'm in a western that. but i <laughs> i filmed it during the winter so it's a midwestern That's and it's perfect. got <laughs> mutants and it's it's awesome it's it's brand new like uh we just a, a month a month old at this point, not even uh, yeah. three or four weeks. Uh, and, and I've been promoting it heavily of which uh, I'm going to steal your show for a second oh, to, go uh, for it. to totally promote stuff that I have coming, coming up go here. 
Um, speaking of Guns of the Apocalypse, uh, my new film, I have a few screenings and events coming up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're recording this here mid-October. Uh, on October 25th, I'll be showing my new, movie, my new movie, Guns of the Apocalypse, at a theater in Forest Lake, Minnesota. And that's a free showing. So people, if you're in the Forest Lake area, uh, which is just a little farther north of Minneapolis-St. Paul, uh, come see it. 7 o'clock on the 25th. Then the 26th through the 28th, I'll be a guest at the Crypticon Horror Crypticon Horror Convention in Bloomington, Minnesota, uh, where I'll be a guest. I'll be showing movies, and I'll be doing some panels and selling stuff, and people should come by. A week later, uh, Friday, November 2nd, I'll be in the DFW area showing Demon with the Atomic Brain at the Central Arts of Bedford, and I'll be doing a little talk about filmmaking. Uh, and then on the 3rd and 4th, I'll be in Waxahachie, Texas, uh, showing movies. Uh, I'm a guest at Waxicon there in Waxahachie. So that's a, that's a newer event, but it's fun, and you should, you should if you're nearby, you should come by and check it out. Yes, awesome. That is so much stuff to look forward to. Well, you can also share that in our group, too, if you want. Oh, I should, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Christopher, what movie are we talking about today? Well, um, since this is the this is the I love that movie podcast, I, <laughs> I I've been wanting to do this for for months. Like I said, we when we first met, we talked about how yeah. if I if I were to do an episode, <laughs> what episode would it be? It would be this for this movie, Beetlejuice. Yes, the nineteen eighty eight classic. Yes. Well, before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and uh, give the synopsis of the film. Uh, in case someone hasn't seen this movie before, which is hard to imagine. Seriously. <laughs> but uh, here we go. A recently deceased husband and wife commission a bizarre demon to drive an obnoxious family out of their home. The end. It seems simple. It seems it's, simple. It's so much more. <laughs> it's, and it's also a very weird, like, s summary. I mean, it's like, I, I can't imagine pitching this movie. I I'm really excited to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 even that 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 boils down the movie to its absolute barest essential yes. elevator pitch, <laughs> but it doesn't even remotely do it justice for how sort of bizarro and amazing the film really is. Uh, you know, it was only Tim Burton's second uh, big budget feature right. uh, after right. after Pee Wee's Big Adventure, mm -hmm. and uh, it's. When I think of Tim Burton, I think it's quintessential Tim Burton. It's got oh, a little definitely. bit of everything. Uh, Absolutely. You know, that, that I think makes a, a great Tim Burton film. For sure. I have a couple quick facts to throw in, and uh, I'm going to read them off. Oh, actually, before we do that, uh, let me backtrack yes. a little bit. Let's talk about when you first saw this movie. So it came out in 88, uh, and I was 12 at the time. Ooh, you're like the um, perfect age. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and 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 there used to be a theater. I grew up in in the southwest corner of Minneapolis, and there used to be a theater. Uh, it was the Dollar Theater back when there were still Dollar Theaters. Because if you remember, uh, you may not, but some people, if you remember, oh not, yeah, I went to Dollar Theaters a lot. No yeah, worries. there used to be Dollar <laughs> Theaters because uh, nowadays, of course, the the release, the theatrical to home video release. Uh, is much shorter. You know, yeah. you're talking three months. Uh, but there used to be a time where it was much, much longer, uh, where you would have movies in theaters for several months and then it would move on to the second run dollar theaters, quote unquote. Uh, and, and, and then eventually at some point end up on home video. Mm -hmm. 
and this was 88 so this was still you know the vhs boom i guess right yeah uh and so there was this dollar theater in in minneapolis called the boulevard that at one point i am i i believe was actually like a really nice single screen theater uh but it had become just a sort of like a rundown dollar theater multiplex that had a few screens in there two or three i think uh and it was within biking distance of my house it wasn't oh, exactly wow. next but you could hop on your bmx and me and my buddies could go there and, and see movies. In fact, I think the first time I ever went on a date with a girl was actually at this theater. Um, and I was, I mean, this is, this is a side, side story that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> no, <but yeah>. it's okay. <laughs> so the first, yeah, the first date I ever went on with a girl was, was at this, this theater, the Boulevard. Uh, I think we held hands and I found out later she's a nun now. So that's, has nothing <laughs> to do with this at all. But, um, so, nice uh, uh, we used to go to, to this theater um, often just because it was a buck and you could go see movies. I saw the princess bride there, you know, I saw a lot of cool movies there. And so one day, um, you know, this, this, this is a movie I wanted to see. And, and, and my, my childhood friend who lived several blocks over, his name was Lee. Uh, he and I were like, Hey, let's get on our bikes and go see Beetlejuice at this theater. And we really didn't know anything about it. We saw the trailer and it was just like, all right, it looks entertaining. Let's check it out. <laughs> so we rode our bikes down to the theater and, and you know, paid a buck and got some gummy bears and went in and, and, and watched this movie. And it was one of those things where it was just, you came out of it after seeing it. And, and we just, we talked about it nonstop for, you know, months. It's so uh, And this is another <laughs> weird aside. Uh, the, the movie opens, uh, you know, with uh, uh, sort of a shot of, this model that the Alec Baldwin character builds of the town. Yeah. Uh, and it's this cool sweeping shot that, you know, you can't, it, you can't necessarily tell it's a model, but you can, uh, but it's this great, you know, you know, overhead shot of everything. And there was something about how cool that model was for some reason to a 12 year old boy. I was like, that model is super cool. Uh, that actually Lee and I, um, after that decided to build our own models of stuff. Uh, and so it weirdly led to this strange period where we built this huge, uh, landscape model that we would use for like D and D and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I could totally see that. I, I definitely, enjoyed that part of the movie and i feel like it i mean we can kind of dive into it later but i feel like it um influences some of his later work too you know just when he kind of transitioned into i know he's not the director but had a big hand in like uh, nightmare before christmas and, and things like oh, that yeah. you know so you can definitely see that and definitely growing up for me too i was very interested in stuff like miniatures and then also stop uh motion so so yeah uh, which I, are, I can totally are... see that Oh, go ahead. Right, which are which are very you know classic filmmaking techniques, special effects technique techniques that are kind of are obviously very lost these days in the CGI era. And as you're talking to a guy who makes cheesy old movies, and we always use practical effects, uh, that was something that sort of spoke to me as well, just because yeah. it was as a, as a big fan as a kid of those cheesy old movies. Uh, you know, it's very clear that Tim Burton, as a director and as a uh, you know, uh, he is very influenced by classic horror movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, um, uh, and this is another film, but this is on a, on an aside. Um, 
you know, the movie Sleepy Hollow, which he put out in 99, you know, there's a whole scene at the end in a, in a windmill that's very reminiscent of, you know, Frankenstein. And it's that, that, you know, universal monsters thing. And he made Frank, Frank and weenie, which is obviously a, a tip of the hat to that. And even Mars attacks, you know, you can see that Tim Burton as a director and as a, as a film goer, you know, as, as a movie fan, it very much liked sort of the same aesthetic uh, in in film that I did as well, where it's that sort of cheesy retro thing with the rubber suit, you know, rubber headed monster kind of thing, and 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 you can see that very much in Beetlejuice. That there's there's a, a there's a modernness at least for the late '80s to it, but it's also there are a lot of tips of the hat to classic films. Even and this is getting way ahead of ourselves, but uh, you know there's. There's there's a specific, you know, tip of the hat to the 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 giant the Gila you know the giant Gila monster and stuff um, uh, with the car uh, hitting Beetlejuice's foot later in the movie and all this stuff. So I mean, there's a there's a lot of stuff through Tim Burton's work in particular, and it really shows in Beetlejuice that love of classic B grade horror and sci-fi. Yeah, I think I'm excited to talk about this movie because you know it, it was one of my favorites growing up. And I can't even remember the first time I saw it. I think because I was so young when it came out that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just sort of feels like it's been in my consciousness like forever. Um, but, you know, looking back on it now, I'm trying to imagine pitching this movie to studios <laughs> and even just like that line, like that elevator pitch you talked about. That's not a great elevator pitch. No, it really isn't. <laughs> Recently, the deceased husband and wife drive out a bizarre demon or commission a bizarre demon to drive an obnoxious family out of their home. It There's a, this movie, there's gotta be like a way to break this down and figure out why does it work exactly. And I think what you're touching on is a big part of it. Like, even though it's bizarre and so Tim Burton and so specific, he's calling back to a lot of really classic things. And I think this last time I watched it, uh, with Nick, my husband, he he mentioned, and you you mentioned recently uh, that you know it's starting with that that miniature set of the town. That weirdly, that set plays into a big part of the movie, right. and it sort of keeps the whole film grounded in a weird way. And I don't know, there's there's something here that I don't feel like. I mean, I li- I like Tim Burton a lot, and I like a lot of his films, but I I think this is like like you said, the pinnacle. It's like the perfect film, and. I don't think he was ever able to duplicate that again. Um, no, even I really though he's had great th- ones, yeah. Right. I, I really do think that this is the quintessential Tim Burton film. Yeah, it's like the um, best of everything. It really is. And, I, you know, I think you can make an argument that, to a certain extent, Ed Wood may be his best film. I think so. I mean, yeah, just as, I love that movie. From, as, a, as a movie, right? Yeah. Uh, but Beetlejuice is, to me, the quintessential tim burton film everything about what i love about tim burton's movies is it's it's just a perfect nugget of tim burton joy (laughs) yeah and like the pacing and the timing in this film too i don't know it's just like everything happens at the right time there's not like a a dragging spot in the movie or no there really isn't yeah it's like it's amazing how much happens in one movie (laughs) because there's a lot of different like locations and settings and a lot of stuff happening yeah I think it's the utter weirdness of it all yeah. uh, that is 
it's playful. You know, it's like, why do they end up on Saturn? Why are there sandworms on Saturn? You know, it's like things that <laughs> don't ever get an explanation and you don't need an explanation. They are, they just are. Yeah. Uh, and it, it plays into that bizarre world building that, that worked so well. But then there's just the aesthetic of the look and feel of everything. And, you know, it's, it's, a very quotable movie. And it, I think it that, is. The script is a big well. part of it. Yeah. yeah. The dialogue is really, yeah, I found, we found ourselves quoting the movie a lot while we were watching it. And I hadn't thought about that before. And I do think that that, that a movie being quotable is part of what makes it sort of like a timeless favorite. I think I, when I look back on films that I loved, a lot of them have great, you know, like one liners. Right. Yeah. And just, just being able to, and I think, I think that sometimes helps a, a film to spread beyond, uh, the experience of an individual watcher yeah. is that when you can throw a quote out there and people instantly recognize it and then they get in, a, it, be, it becomes a way to, for, for groups of people to bond, if that makes sense. No, totally. Uh, and it, it takes the experience of seeing a movie out of the individual experience and, and makes it part of a, a collective experience. And I often talk about collective experiences with movie going, and I'm always encouraging people to get out of their house and go to a movie and see a movie with a group. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm always trying to sell that idea because seeing a movie in the theater, especially a crowded theater can really, really change the way a person looks at a movie. Uh, sure. And it, it stops being, um, it stops being about, just the movie it becomes about the experience as well i mean I, I went over i just went through the whole thing about going to this theater and you know riding my bike there and and seeing it with my friend and eating gummy bears and just like uh and there's probably a dozen people in the theater but it was just the experience and the memory is tied very much to going to that place uh and then that place like i said ties into other obviously events in my life uh but Collective experience, and that's, again, with the quotableness of it, uh, I think adds to that as well. Uh, and then another aside about going to the movies, uh, you know, if you go to a movie that's uh, a comedy uh, that's, you know, funny enough, generally if you're with a big cr group of people, it becomes that much funnier. Oh, yeah. Or if you see an awful movie, uh, like a really bad movie, uh, sometimes if you see that in a big crowd of people and everyone there is basically decided, yeah, this movie's terrible – uh, there usually comes a point where it becomes more about sort of making fun of it. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> very true. The group dynamic of it sort of takes over and it becomes this experience of seeing it. Uh, I saw the movie Anaconda at a, at a movie theater uh, with that was full of people. I and too. <laughs> you know, Anaconda is not a great movie, but it's a great movie to see in certain places. I agree, uh, yeah. There was a there's a woman there with like her six kids and her kids were just running around and no one cared because she kept yelling at the screen and it made it so much better because <laughs> her commentary was so funny. Uh, and so it was it was this thing that 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 made the movie way better than it had any right to be. And if I had just been watching that on Netflix or something, I think I'd probably turn it off at some point and be like, ah, that movie's terrible. But to me, the experience I had seeing it in a theater surrounded by people yelling at the screen was hilarious and made it totally a better movie. Totally. Well, I think you have to give a lot of credit in Beetlejuice to Michael Keaton 
Um, oh, by far. Like a crazy amount. But what's funny is, you know, according to him, the Beetlejuice character was described by Tim Burton as having lived in like every time period or no time period. And he kind of used that as his jumping off point for the character. Um, that's why he's got that like shock hairdo, the mold makeup, the big teeth. And when he first showed up to the set, he said the crew was chanting like, juice, 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 <laughs> which got him <laughs> excited. Because I think initially he and um, the other main actors didn't want to do the movie. I think they, they tried to explain this film to them and they were like, no, they like didn't get it. Uh, but he came around after he saw Pee-wee's Big Adventure and saw what um, when Tim Burton could do. But I can imagine like trying to explain this to an actor and them just saying like, huh? <laughs> yeah well it's the thing too is when you read this this sort of simple synopsis there are so many directions that could be taken right, right? uh i mean this is coming off the heels of, of ghostbusters four years prior right mm -hmm. so you could approach it as uh as as some sort of like ghostly comedy or you could approach this as more of a horror movie you know i mean it's just like uh, you have demons and ghosts and stuff. Uh, so, I mean, it's like it takes someone like Tim Burton to really take this very strange and sort of almost uninteresting concept. I mean, there's really not much to it that really makes much sense and and turn it into something that's wild and fun and crazy and, you know, just just as entertaining as it is. Yeah, you know, and, and for Michael Keaton specifically, like his, the way he interprets and plays Beetlejuice, I, I was interested to read about what his process was because, like, I don't know, it's like the way he plays it, I feel like I know who that guy is, he kind of seems like a used car salesman or something, <laughs> but it's right. like not real specific, it's like its own thing, and he just did it so well, and I kind of wondered what, you know, what the process was in even choosing him, I know... Michael Keaton, a lot of people, I guess, like my age or younger may not know that he started out doing stand-up comedy because he's very intense, too. Like, you right. see him in pretty much anything else, he's very intense. Um, but I think that I think that Tim Burton saw that in him and saw that funny dark edge and was like, there's a way to interpret that and use that to where it's more relatable. It's almost like by making him Beetlejuice, by making him like this weird character, it gives him this really great jumping off point for uh, like a stand-up routine. Cause he kind of, it kind of does feel like at a lot of times in the movie, you know, the jokes he's telling, it's, it's almost like just a comedy routine. Well, and, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of old enough to remember sort of to, to remember the, you know, the beginnings of Michael Keaton's sort of career in popular entertainment. Um, just because when I was a kid, you know, it's like Michael Keaton was the guy who who did a lot of comedies. You know, he did like Gung Ho. He did, you know, uh, Mr. Mom, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Beetlejuice. And really, I think that uh, he was very much considered a comedic actor, right? In mm -hmm. in kind of much the same way that Tom Hanks was, uh, where when they got their start, they they really just did a lot of comedies, and so they were more pigeonholed as comedic actors. Uh, and then, and I think that's part of the reason why it seems so weird when Tim Burton decided to make Michael Keaton Batman, you know, because yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just like, but he's like a comedian and he's not uh, an action guy. How can he be Batman? Uh, 
And so that was a little weird, right? But then obviously Michael Keaton started to show that, no, he has acting chops, not just from Batman, but he stayed like clean and sober and, and, you know, he's in Jackie Brown and stuff like that. Uh, but he, you know, was kind of everywhere for a while in the late eighties. Uh, and then he kind of disappeared a little bit, you know, you didn't really yeah. see him much. Uh, and he only showed up, it seemed in, in, in smaller roles here and there, but you really, he was, he seemed like he was a bigger star in the late eighties, right? Cause he, he did Beetlejuice. He did Mr. Mom and gung ho and, 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 uh, uh, Batman and Batman Returns, and then you know he did Clean and Silver and all these things, and it seemed like you know he was kind of the the it guy for a while, and then he kind of fell. I feel like he fell off the radar a bit, and I feel in the last maybe ten years where you're starting to see him popping up again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he shows up in Spider Man and uh, other other high profile things that it's kind of nice to see that he still has like a a, a career going, but. Um, yeah, I mean he he's he's like you mentioned he has an intensity to him that I think um makes him seem like there's maybe an edge to him that that uh <sighs> Tom Hanks seems like a nice guy, right? Yeah. Uh, and he yeah. just comes off like a nice guy and then from all everything I've ever read, he actually is that nice guy and he comes that comes across on screen, you know? Uh and that's like uh, same with Michael Keaton. I remember where Tom Hanks was kind of a comedic actor and suddenly he started doing these serious roles. And now of course he's kind of transitioned into, well, he's Tom Hanks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, big star, great actor, amazing actor, uh, that you can imagine him doing anything and he can do it right. Um, but there's, there's not much of an edge to Tom Hanks. <laughs> I mean, he just seems approachable. Uh, I think with Michael Keaton in particular, and this is part of what works, I think well with Beetlejuice is that, even if he's being funny, there still seems like there's a part of him that could snap and maybe, you know, get nasty if he had to. Yeah, there's, absolutely. There's an intensity to his his presence. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tom, like I said, Tom Hanks has a, a likable affability to him that's just like he's a nice guy uh, and approachable. Whereas, I don't know that Michael Keaton does. I think there's <laughs> there's there's something about him that he may be the nicest guy in the world, but at the same time, there is this sort of like steeliness to i don't know his presence that i think uh again works very well with beetlejuice because beetlejuice is i mean he's a demon he's hilarious but he's also very dark and kind of gross and and you know um obviously has (laughs) cares not about boundaries um (laughs) and you know i mean but at the same time he's hilarious in that it's it's so over the top half the time, but then he jumps around from, you know, there's that moment where they ask for his qualifications and he suddenly just becomes super calm and then it slowly ratchets up to the crazy. Uh, and that's the beauty of it. I mean, that's, that's what works as that's what I thought worked with having uh, Michael Keaton. I think he, he had that, that darkness that was required to be there, but still is really was able to use his comedic chops to, to, to make Beetlejuice likable, but also not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think his intensity is why, and, you know, after doing Batman and some of the other things that he did, people my age that don't remember the early 80s or maybe were not around for it, they they are surprised that he was a stand-up comedian. Um, yeah. And then that's because, you know, his, his comedy was probably maybe a little different than just 
straight stand-up you know it, it is a little edgier a little and he he does have intensity to him um but yeah I remember I was saying that on I think it was on Twitter because there was some casting recently that people were upset about they're like oh that person's a comedian and you know they don't belong in this kind of franchise and I was like well you know Michael Keaton was Batman and he was a comedian <laughs> and they were like yeah. what and it's like yeah you know if you go back far enough but for a lot of people, they only remember him after that. So they kind of forget about, right. you know, if they haven't, I'm sure they saw Beetlejuice, but maybe they think it's an exception. But, but yeah, I think that character is so strange um, and so funny, but it's like, how, how do you play that where it's kind of, like you said on the line where it's believable, where he carries the movie as both sort of like the leading character, but also kind of as the villain. Um, right. And it's so far away from like the original script was a horror movie um, and Beetlejuice was going to be like a winged demon who like transformed into it says a small Middle Eastern man, which is like why specifically Middle East? I don't know. To interact. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was like what? Uh, to interact with the Maitlands and the Dietzes. And then Lydia was like a more minor character with a little sister. And like it was completely different. And then they you know, it'd be interesting to have yeah. someone uh, take the original script as written and make it straightforward and just see what kind of a movie it would be. Yeah, I, I would like to see that. Like, even if it was just something, I don't know, like a made for TV movie or, you know, on one Perhaps of these. Perhaps I should just do it. You should just do it. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, it, it's just funny. Like, it's this the, the original script is like very specific in all the details and they don't. It's like it, it doesn't make the plot make more sense. <laughs> <laughs> but it does seem like it was more serious um, and they decided to go with toning it down and making it a comedy, which I think because it's so strange um, and so Tim Burton. And I keep saying that because not because when I watch it, I'm like, oh, this movie's so weird. What's funny is this over time, this movie became so like normal to all of us. You know, we're like, oh, yeah. it's a Tim Burton movie. It's Beetlejuice. But if like you had never seen it before and you're starting over right now watching it, it is strange. And I think the fact that it's so funny is part of what makes you sort of gravitate and adapt to it so quick. And that's why I think having Michael Keaton be Beetlejuice is just perfect. It's hard to imagine someone else in that role being able to play both those sides so well. Well, and I think uh, I, I mean, I. It's a good point about it being so strange and now it's just like, well, yeah, that's just the way it is, right? <laughs> but up until that point, um, Tim Burton had only really made, you know, shorts and stuff that no one had ever seen uh, or, you know, just put on festivals or whatever. Uh, and he made Pee-wee's Big Adventure. But Pee-wee's Big Adventure is more Pee-wee Herman than not, right? Right, yeah. Uh, Tim Burton obviously brought the sort of insanity of the whole peewee herman universe i guess uh to life in in and put a few of his you know touchstones on it but uh but it's still first and foremost i think a peewee herman movie you know mm -hmm. uh where it's got some of the weirdness but it's it's still you don't think of that necessarily as what you think of when it comes to tim burton because uh, i think i think what might be missing from the peewee herman you know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure in particular is the darkness uh, that permeates a lot of of Tim Burton's work. Uh, it's sort of the the sort of gothiness, right? The the um, just the 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 like I said, the darkness of it. I mean, uh, movies like Sleepy Hollow or even Batman, which is obviously very dark, <laughs> <It's a> dark <laughs> night. Uh, but a lot of of Tim Burton's film has this sort of 
morbid curiosity about death and and these things and just uh, just darkness. I can't think of a better word to describe uh, what sort of hangs over a lot of his work. Uh, and Pee Wee's Big Adventure in particular is very candy co- colored and you know bright and goofy. And then you get into uh, Beetlejuice, and I think that's the first time when you see, I think. Tim Burton as Tim Burton coming out and doing his thing. Uh, and you know, the team around him really got what he was going for and the stuff he was doing and just the, you know, that, that undercurrent of, you know, you learn more about Tim Burton and, and there's a lot of, of him that comes out in his, his, especially his early stuff like Edward Scissorhands or whatever, where you can tell, you know, he, grew up in a place where he didn't feel welcome. He felt like a weirdo uh, and admittedly probably is, but there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's what makes him awesome. Uh, and that comes through uh, with, with Beetlejuice is that, that, you know, this quaint little small town and yet there's all this weirdness and then the weird, you know, the weirdos from the city come in and I don't know, there's something, there's something amazing about, every part of it that comes together in a way that few films are ever that sort of perfect. Yeah. You know, I, I love Wee's big adventure. That's actually one, another one of my favorite films. Um, but yeah, you know, what's interesting about that one and this one is they're both comedies starring a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that before, but maybe again, maybe that's sort of the, the way in for him, like a way for him to prove, Hey, my weirdness can exist in these movies right. and you'll still like them. Um, and, and sort of the peacemaker part of it is like, Hey, let's have it be really funny. Cause he clearly, you know, is able to, to tap into that. And he knows what, what works. Cause a, a lot of the comedy, I think in Pee Wee's big adventure and in this one is visual too, not, not just yes. jokes. Um, yeah, in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, I think the only times you really see some of him come through is like the large Marge scene. <laughs> so strange. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite parts because it just uh, it makes me laugh so hard. But um, but yeah, like this movie is where he's being himself, and th- there's even parts in the movie when I was rewatching it that I completely forgot about, and when they come up again, I'm like, oh yeah, oh ooh, I love this part. And they're they're all the parts of the movie I think where he got to really get creative and artistic with um like the monsters and and just different characters in the movie. Well, we've talked a little bit about I guess like the background of the film and just how our our you know first thoughts and everything. Do you want to talk about some specific scenes next? Sure. Um I mean obviously the 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 opening uh where they you know, it's it seems so you know sweet, and these this couple's just at home and they're taking a little vacation, and then they die. I mean, that's <laughs> like the first the they, couple of days. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like the the first you know it's it's such a ridiculous way to, and it's got the little hints of comedy with the 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 cars sort of teetering on the edge of the bridge as it's about to fall in the the water, and the dogs there, and it jumps off, of course, and then they fall in. And I think, uh, I mean, the movie does a good job very early on of setting the tone of mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And even even Beetlejuice doesn't even show up that soon, right? Did you know uh, he's only like 25 minutes of this whole film? Yeah, and yet he, every, not a minute wasted, <laughs> no. not a single second wasted. Uh, and so it's, it, I think the, the movie really sets the tone very quickly. Uh, and then you get the, the Dietzes show up. Uh, and, and I think 
you know, they're the, the Maitland's first attempts at being ghosts and stuff are great. And, and again, that sets the aesthetic of like, you know, the ripping the, when, you know, um, she rips her face, you know, Gina Davis rips her face off and it's just, mm-hmm. it's so over the top. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, meant to be cheesy, you know what I mean? Meant yeah. to yeah. not necessarily be, <sighs> I always sort of use the term, like you can see the strings, right. Uh, which is sort of my catch all for when you think back to a movie like war of the world's, in the fifties, which is a great example of fifties movies. Uh, those special effects at the time were the absolute best special effects in any film at that time. I mean, they really rank up there as some of the best, uh, but you can see the strings cause that's the best they could do. Uh, and so there's, um, an almost like theater like fakeness to it. Uh, but it's an asset to the film. And I think Beetlejuice does that well. Uh, the use of stuff like uh, stop motion animation or like I said, when she pulls her face off, it's very clearly just a, a mask, right? Kind of a thing. And it's so over the top, ridiculous and fun. Uh, and that's what makes it great. Uh, and that again, very early on in the film sets up uh, the universe. And even when they go into, you know, uh, the Adam character ends up, uh, uh, in, you know, going off the porch, uh, or going off the, the steps and ends up on Saturn and you see the, the stop motion sand, sandworm on the, you know, cheesy weird sets with the yellow sand and all that stuff, uh, really sets up the movie that, okay, this is because you're thinking, even when you go into the eighties, right? 88, uh, special effects at that time were starting to take really good you know big strides toward much more sort of like realistic believability in what they were trying to portray uh and i feel like uh this movie in particular uh it's almost like tim burton didn't care he's like no i want to do old techniques i want to do stuff that that adds to that you know i want people to see the strings (laughs) as it were yeah uh and that's that's does a lot toward um you know, uh, setting the tone and the the goofiness of it that I love so much. Uh, as far as other, you know, uh, scenes I really like, obviously the, the first appearance of Beetlejuice when they end up, or not the first appearance, but the first time they end up going down and talking to him and they dig him out of the grave, uh, you know, on the model uh, is still, his introduction is one of the best. Um, and it has one of the, one of my favorite things in any movie ever, uh, is the whole thing where he asks, uh, I mentioned this before, he, you know, um, Alec Baldwin asks for his qualifications basically as a, you know, uh, and Michael Keaton goes through that whole speech about, well, I attended Juilliard and, you know, I survived the black plague. And he goes through that whole thing and he goes crazy. And then they're like, well, I mean, can you be scary? And he's like, oh yeah, scary. And then he does the, how's this? And he turns around and you see something happen, but you don't see it. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things in any movie ever. Cause it's just so quick so funny and their reactions and everything about it. Uh, and you don't ever see it. You don't see what is so scary <laughs> and that makes it that much better. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I have to walk back something I said earlier. He doesn't appear till 25 minutes into the film, and then he's in less than 20% of the film's entirety. But I think using him sparingly is what works, because he's so right. big. Um, right. and, and also, when you're talking about the, the first scene, I was thinking, watching it again, um, you know, it's so incredibly morbid that this, this couple dies on their vacation and but i feel like they make it they soften it by oh well they died you know like trying not to hit a dog like that's kind of sweet you know that that that's so good of them and then their like blase kind of reaction uh to their own death is really funny too because when they get back home and they're like they're like i don't think we survive like they don't really react the way like a person actually would if they found out they died. Right. And then they go right into the, the book and the uh, reading like stereo instructions and they just normalize oh, it geez. so much. That, and I, I, lo- yeah. I, I, that whole, the, the, you know, the handbook for the recently deceased is such, <laughs> see, it's little touches like that. That is the, the, the brilliance of the absurdity of it. You know, mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, now it's like and even the cover, it's like, now you're dead. Here's what to do, <laughs> you know, uh, where it's just it's so almost mundane. And two, you go, they finally go into the, you know, into the the um, I don't know what to call it. The sort of netherworld where they meet up the with DMV of their, the netherworld, I guess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, they meet up with their caseworker and and how brilliant is the whole thing with the like she smokes and it comes out of the slash in her neck. I mean, that has to be one of the most brilliant uh just little touches like that right yeah and her her costume or her makeup and everything about it and just yeah it's like there's so much it's almost theatrical looking i mean i I know they're turning it into a broadway musical now and i'm kind of like that makes sense like just watching the set there's something that feels almost like a play about the whole movie to begin with like yeah go ahead well i was to to I think that sort of uh, like I was saying about the sort of you can see the strings kind of thing is that it feels more like theater. It doesn't feel like I don't know. It's just there's there's a a tangible fakeness to it that makes it charming. Uh, And I think it's what makes the the movies I make and, 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 you know, uh, pay tribute to so charming and why I love them so much is because there is a that's a guy in a suit kind of this to it. You know, it's like it's you know it's fake and it pulls you in to a certain extent because you're willfully uh, giving into it, right? You're, 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 I'm going to suspend my disbelief that yes, that is in fact uh, the DMB of the afterworld, even though (laughs) you can totally tell it's a tiny set and they're doing all these like weird little old techniques to make it look bigger, but it doesn't really work and all this stuff. And I think that's the beauty of it. I think that's what, what what for me really worked really grabbed me and pulled me in yeah and i th- i think it serves the story in a way that maybe didn't in like uh batman returns you know a, a big complaint that mm-hmm. a lot of people have about the second batman film he did was instead of filming a lot of gotham like outside they were specifically sets like he got you know, mm-hmm. part of the understanding of him doing that movie was, I'm going to do a Tim Burton film. And they gave him permission to do that. It's not like he fought for that or they argued. I mean, he wanted to do that and he got to. But it, it almost doesn't serve that movie in the same way. Because in this film, I think the fact that they set up the whole movie with that miniature in the beginning of the uh, of the movie, look at the set. This is the set that we're going to like be in later. So like when they, when we finally meet Beetlejuice and they dig him up, you're not like, Oh, well that looks like a goofy set. 
you know, (laughs) because they already showed it to us and they've already shown us like a lot of things like that and sort of sprinkled that throughout to where it's, it's part of the universe that Tim Burton's creating. And I think it's like, you've been saying this whole time, it's part of why we accept it so much. Well, and I think, um, to, to speak to, um, that DMV of the afterworld, right. Uh, is the whole concept concept of that is so bizarro, right? <laughs> uh, and yet relatable because you could totally imagine that. Yeah, this is probably how it really is. Can you imagine? I mean, it's just like <laughs> you imagine, like, oh, there's life after death, and it's going to be amazing. But then again, there's still you still have to wait in line at the the DMV kind of a thing. <laughs> and, and at the end, when they're like, "Well, what if I need to call you?" and she just disappears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And see, there's other things too that's that. Uh, upon like you have to watch it several times where you start catching little things that you didn't catch before uh in particular like um you know the otho character which is just he's hilarious and that actor plays that character to perfection uh you know he mentions later at one point about he's talking about uh, the one woman and her suicide dreary suicide attempts and he said you know what they say about you know, people who commit suicide, they have to be civil servants in the afterlife. And he's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's, yes. that's what's so funny is like, you know, yeah, that's, that's in this universe, that's true. Uh, you know, and you have the, the, the guy who obviously threw himself in front of a truck or something and he's flat and he makes the joke about it and the whole thing. And I mean, it's just, there's a, there's a, a, a macabre humor to it all that, I don't know. It's it's like Halloween in a movie. I mean, it's like... It really you know? is. It's, it's accessible goth in a way that, like... I, I feel like it gives you a window into someone's mind like Tim Burton, who who is sort of, like, gothic and, and focused on macabre and maybe on death, but in a way that, you know, like, he's explaining why he's so focused on it and what is relatable about it instead of right. just a, you know, a scary, creepy, I'm afraid way. It's like a very funny mundane i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say there but he makes it <laughs> he it, makes he it, makes very it playful and accessible yeah. Yeah. Uh, he makes the things that are dark and frightening playful and accessible you know yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that may be the 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 best way to describe what it is that tim burton does best yeah i uh, i always feel like this this is where i mean we keep saying it but like this is sort of like the pinnacle of what the best parts of him it's like when he sticks with this formula and i think you can even see that in some of the other really good ones like even ed wood there's still that sort of like edgy fake gothy you know all that stuff is still in there even though it's more of a like like a straightforward film yeah well and it's funny uh i have this this theory of tim burton as well which is like uh i mentioned with Wee's big adventure right it was more it was more him helping Paul Rubens, I guess, bring the sort of peewee aesthetic to the big screen, right? Mm-hmm. And they worked together very well. Um, they they really meshed nicely. Uh, and you can tell there's some push and pull there of, okay, this is more Tim Burton-y, this is more, you know, Paul Rubens or whatever, back and forth. Um, with Beetlejuice in particular, it's obviously he took a script that is not what it ended up being, and he made it his own and made this crazy world that is just amazing, uh, and I've, I've often I've often said about Tim Burton is that he worked best when sort of given I think more carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wanted uh, by comparison to having to play in other people's playgrounds, totally. uh, and so I think that's why some of his his other later stuff 
hasn't worked as well. Uh, I'm thinking Dark Shadows um, or um, uh, Alice in Wonderland. You know, um, his latest, even even Planet of the Apes. That just it being sort of stuck in another person's, you know, some someone else's world. In essence, yeah, it feels like uh, there's a lot of studio feedback in those and direction. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like when he's real, when he really shines the most is when he's doing something that he wants to do. <laughs> I think like really, and is probably given more freedom to do it like Edward Scissorhands, which is just a bizarre movie. And apparently I think it's probably going to be the next one. I'm going to have to be uh, your guest on. Yeah, uh, definitely. I love uh, to talk about that movie. Uh, but you, you see it's in, in movies like that where um, there's, there's a, 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 a just a weirdness to it that is so perfectly uh, Tim Burton. But again, we keep coming back to it with Beetlejuice. That was where it was all established that, okay, this guy's got, got something. And it's just, Beetlejuice is just dripping with that something. (laughs) I think, I think keeping it in that sort of like Midwest kind of feel mixed with his weirdness, like, maybe that's what works so well. Like, I feel like you see that in this movie, in Edward Scissorhands, and even in, like, Mars Attacks. It's like when he combines, like, I don't know, like, classic Americana with his stuff together. Like, it's like the perfect match. (laughs) It's kind of the, the, the juxtaposition of sort of the implied innocence of Americana, the sort of, like, purity of... Just like we're all good people, we love our neighbors, small town America kind of thing. Uh, but then you then juxtap- you know juxtapose that with the that gothy darkness of outsiders and and you know and that's in particular with with Edward Scissorhands, right? I mean, it's like suburban America, suburban hell, basically. <laughs> uh, but then you end up with this kooky character showing up and, you know, uh, and, and I think you see that a little bit, obviously with, with the uh, Beetlejuice, cause you have the Maitlands who are like the perfect, you know, the perfect little small town country couple, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we're going to have you know. babies and yeah, they're like very, yeah, yeah. very good, but it's funny. Cause there, there's still sort of like an edge to both of them. I feel like though, like picking Gina Davis to be her, like, I don't know. I think of her in like, uh, we we did the long kiss goodnight earlier this year, mm. and she's kind of doing something similar in that movie where she's like, uh, "You have you've seen that movie, right? Have you seen it?" Yeah, yeah, okay. So like you know, in that movie, she's like that. This uh, she doesn't remember who she is, but she she used to be a killer, but now she's like a small time wife and uh, you know a good a good girl, and then she slowly remembers, and she plays like both parts really well but kind of like funny and like even when she's the goody goody school teacher that edge kind of comes out so i felt like mm-hmm. in this movie there's something similar there where she's she's the uh typical like uh sweet housewife but she's still like really funny and she kind of still lets things slip out here and there that that make her believable as a scary ghost wife as well <laughs> You know, it's, it's funny too, is even adding, uh, Alec Baldwin, right? Yeah. Uh, this is like, I think one of his really first big roles. Uh, and he looks so weird. <laughs> He's so young in this movie that Nick, He's, uh, my husband was like, oh, that's a Baldwin. I go, yeah, it's Alec Baldwin. And he was like, nah, he's like, it's, it's probably one of the other ones. <laughs> he was like, he was like, it's like 
30 years old or yeah, something. He's so young and so, so slim. It. Yeah. So yeah. So skinny. And so uh, he just, he looks weird. It he looks just like does, a dork. Ah. He's like a dad, yeah, dad hair and everything at all. Uh, especially when you see him now, it's like, they don't, I mean, it just, they don't, it, it almost looks like it's not the same guy, but <laughs> yeah. it is, but just, it's odd. He looks, I don't know. He looks very weird in that movie in a way that he really didn't in all the other ones. So, and I don't know if it's the glasses and the hair and this, the aesthetic, I don't know, but he just does not look like what I, I think we know of Alec Baldwin today. I do think it is what they're wearing and how they're, how they're styled, I guess you could say. Both of them, they're kind of, they look ridiculous. I mean, they look like, they look like a couple that you like are annoyed by. Like, oh, that doofy couple that, you know, they're, they're goody goody and uh, really conservative and like uptight or whatever. They, they're dressed kind of ridiculous. Though, it's almost one of those things that it's like, you're, you're almost more annoyed by them because you know that, uh, there's a part of you that wishes you were as sort of like pure and good as they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so like them being all in love and decent people and, you know, it's just... <laughs> no, exactly. And, but, but because it's Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, like that's not who those two actors are, or that's not how I think oh. of them outside of this movie. So and I that's, think that's why it that's, works. Yeah. And, and two, um, uh, I think, I think we're, you know, Catherine O'Hara, um, yes. <laughs> is absolutely brilliant in that film, uh, in just her, her just nastiness. Uh, and yet, <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about her that she's, she's amazing. Uh, yeah. and, and very few things she's in where she's not just an incredibly talented person. Uh, and in, in just even her clothes and the things she wears and says, and just, she plays the perfect, New York yuppie type, uh, you know, uh, artist type that just, oh, she's, she's terrible throughout, right? She's mm -hmm. just awful and very self-centered and, and selfish and, and, but she's hilarious. And I mean, she's just, she's so good in everything she does. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it's kind of funny, you know, she's been in, in several of, uh, Christopher Guest's movies. Uh, you know, the, the mockumentaries and uh, there is, this is, this is a total aside, but I've always, it's, it's always kind of weirdly fascinated me. There's a part in, uh, I think the film waiting for Guffman, uh, Catherine Harris in it, and she's talking about her acting technique. And she says something along the lines of she's it's what she's saying is it like makes very little sense, but in her mind, you can tell this is, this makes sense to her, but it doesn't, uh, where she's talking about, uh, how you're looking at someone, but you're closing your eyes and then you look away and then you look back and you're closing your eyes. But, and she's, it's this whole thing about looking at people with your eyes closed. Uh, <laughs> and it's played as for laughs and it makes no sense in the movie. And that's why it's funny. Uh, but, uh, after seeing Waiting for Guffman several times, uh, I, I love that movie, um, and seeing Beetlejuice again, she actually does that <laughs> several <laughs> times in Beetlejuice. So I don't know if she was actually explaining her, her acting technique uh, in that. Uh, that's actually something she does. Uh, and of course, Waiting for Guffman came after Beetlejuice. But there are several times where she's doing that uh, in character. And so I don't know what that means or what it really has to do with anything, but that weird... I, I noticed that, um, especially after watching Beetlejuice again just recently uh, for Halloween, which I do every year uh, around Halloween. 
but uh, yeah, no, she's she's fantastic. I wonder if Honestly, it's like a self awareness thing where she's sort of making fun of herself. Like I, I imagine it probably is. Yeah, she I, when I watch this movie in this one in particular, she gives me real like Madeline Kahn vibes. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember her the most from uh, from she was uh, Kevin McAllister's mom, right, in Home Alone. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I love her in this movie because she plays just like you said, such a nasty person, but in such a funny way to where it's not irritating. It's like, you know, right. she's supposed to be irritating, but she's just so funny and so enjoyable that, uh, and I guess that's what I mean by like Madeline Kahn. It's like she kind of, I was watching a, a clip from uh, Young Frankenstein the other day and I feel like his his wife in that movie, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, she's supposed to be annoying and you're supposed to kind of hate her, but you just love her because she's Madeline Kahn and she's hilarious, so... Yeah, I definitely see the the parallel there with her. Well, and there's there's another thing I mentioned the thing uh, with uh, Otho saying the thing about people uh, commit suicide become you know civil servants staff like he's true uh, early in the movie when they first get into the house and uh, you know the Maitlands are trying to scare them but no one can see them uh, and he realize uh, you know Alec Baldwin's character realizes he lets the leaves the attic door open and he runs up there and shuts it uh and otho and and uh Catherine harris character i can't remember her first name lydia no not lydia uh what's her name <laughs> oh man let's look it up i'll look it uh, up keep talking the the deets mom um you know <laughs> they're up there and they're banging on the door uh trying to get in and and she just flat out says, he's like, uh, Otha's like, well, I wonder what's behind this door. And she's like, probably the ghosts of the people who died in this house and they want us out of here. And it's like, <laughs> again, that's exactly true. They're totally right. Uh, and there's several instances of that throughout the movie. Uh, I think uh, there's one other thing that I, uh, I think the entire cast, every character, every actor who appears in Beetlejuice does, is, is perfect uh, in the role. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a bad one amongst them. Um and I should say, uh, uh, Winona Ryder was so great in that movie and just playing, you know, uh, the, the morose gothy teen. Um, and I, I will admit as a 12 year old, when I saw that movie, I think Winona Ryder as Lydia Dietz became my like obsession. It was like my, <laughs> it was like the, my movie crush for years and to this day i still think winona ryder is amazing uh, she's probably I, my girl crush I, I probably became obsessed with her myself at, at a young I age just, i mean i just grew up with her and I, there was at one point when i had like short hair and you know i, I worked at like a movie theater and she, there was a movie of hers out and somebody was like oh you you look like i was like oh i'm not trying to have my hair the same way or anything <laughs> <laughs> looked literally nothing like her but i just was trying to have a pixie cut and trying to play off that I wasn't having a pixie cut because of her. But I was. I mean, I'll say it. <laughs> Alien, Alien is one of my favorite movies, right? Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's an amazing movie. Aliens is great. Alien 3 is not. <laughs> Alien Resurrection is awful um, when you compare them to the other ones, um, at least in my opinion. But I did see it because Winona Ryder's in it. <laughs> I, I totally dated a guy that like was obsessed with that movie because of her. <laughs> I mean, just 
it's it's really great to see her, you know, on on Stranger Things. Um, it is. It's good to see her back. I remember for a while. I, I remember reading. You know, she had some troubles in like the late. I don't know if that was maybe maybe the early two thousands where she was having like the. She shoplifted and, and did a few other things. Yeah, and, she did. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And she kind of faded you know. away for a while, and then she came uh, back. Um, and she was really working. That happens. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think that happens to a lot of actors. You know, um, like I said with Michael Keaton. You know, he was kind of everywhere in the late eighties, and then he kind of disappeared for a while. But I feel like he's been kind of on an upswing lately. We're starting to see him and stuff again, and higher profile things, and mm-hmm. and you know, I, I I just I think that's the natural sort of way of, of a lot of a lot of careers, um, at least if actors stick around long enough, right? Because some mm-hmm. people's careers, they shoot up and then they go down and then they move on to something else. Uh, and I think some actors, if they just keep at it, eventually they start to come back up a little bit if they just, as long as they don't do anything too bad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for Wynonna Ryder, I remember reading, it was the time when uh, that movie... Uh... Black Swan came out. She was really lamenting, like, "Oh, you know, I went away for a while. Now I came back, and I'm older now. I'm not. I'm not going to get like the kind of roles that I used to get anymore. And like the character that Natalie Portman plays, that would have been me 20 years ago, which it totally would have. But, um, but then she had a resurgence. So I wonder what she would say now. She'd probably be like, mm, "Never mind. <laughs> now I'm on Stranger well, Things. It's all good." <laughs> yeah, I know she's she's not much older than I am. So there was a there's um. You know, I just, I admit it, like Beetlejuice was the movie where I'm like, who is she? I like her. <laughs> you know, and I was the right age. I was 12, going on 13. So I was like starting to be interested in girls and, you know, she was just, uh, I think, and I thought probably in, informed, you know, the types of women I pursued later and, you know, throughout my life, uh, you know, dark haired women. I don't know. Um, this is getting into a really weird side thing that we don't need to go into. Um, but Look, the uh, point is, this was the best role she had, I is. think, um, in, in in even in Tim Burton movies. Like, she's she's good in Edward Scissorhands. I would never say she wasn't, but this this role was like for her. No, think, it's great, yeah. and she's she's funny, and she plays the she plays the she plays the 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 character very well in mm-hmm. just that. You know, she's supposed to be all dark, but even there have been moments where it breaks through and you can see that she's she's not as cynical as she, you know, she tries to be, you know, mm-hmm. like when she's trying to find them because she wants them because in essence she kind of looks at them as actual parents who care. And it's like she just wants, she wants attention, right? She wants someone to, to give a crap about her, whereas she has her dad who's obviously got you know, business guy and is very focused on, you know, his businesses and his money and, and himself to a certain degree and his stepmother or her stepmother, who's, you know, eh, very much grading on each other. Uh, and so you can see it when she finds these two people that, you know, care about her and really show it to her. Um, you know, she, she freaks out a little bit. She's willing to save them because she cares about them. And, and, and so for as cynical and dark and gothy as she wants to be, she's still just a teenager who wants attention and wants to still be, you know, loved and cared after and all that stuff. 
Yeah, and I like that scene, too, where, I mean, she's kind of struggling with depression in the movie a little bit. Right. I mean, you know, a that's a really bit. serious topic, but but yeah. they handle it in such a light way. And I think, like, when she basically says, I want to be dead like you guys, and they're like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Right. <laughs> they're like, guess what? Being dead, it sucks. So you don't yeah. want to be dead. And I, I thought they handled that really, really well, because that could be, like, a really – I mean, when you really think about that, that's really messed up <laughs> that she's yeah, like, yeah. I want to be like these dead ghosts. But they, they handled it really well in the movie, and I think it's very relatable because – I think at that time, around that time for, for most teenagers, whether you're goth or not, I mean, that that's those are tough years. And I think yeah. you're dealing with a lot of serious questions and, and feeling a little disillusioned about your parents. And like, you know, I, I just think that uh, that this movie does, uh, weirdly, a movie called Beetlejuice does a really good job of, of sort of tackling some of those issues. And, and she's kind of like the poster girl <laughs> right. to tackle them. I mean, when you think about her and like some of her other roles, like... Um, Girl Interrupted and, you know, yeah. movies like that. I mean, she kind of became uh, that sort of sad, listless teenager. Um, right. But but in this movie, it's like, it's a little bit, um, I guess, more accessible, more digestible. Um, and she does a really good job. Right. Well, and she's never, she's never played even as, uh, her character never comes off as really the butt of any joke. That's true. Um uh, uh, whereas every other character kind of does, mm -hmm. um, and she's really never played as a, as a, as the butt of a joke or that her being a weirdo, the way she is in all the best ways, uh, is negative or bad or whatever. Um, so, I mean, to a certain extent, she's, she's kind of, I don't know, the, one of the main characters, you know, and, and one of the, the focuses, I think. I think that's probably her character is is what made it probably more accessible even to me as a as a twelve year old when I saw it right, mm -hmm. uh, uh, but she's not played as like a dumb little kid right. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of times when you have especially a teenage girl, especially a goth teenage moody girl, they usually are sort of picked on and made fun of um, a lot right. in a movie. I mean, usually it's like, ugh, can you believe this teen girls? You know, <laughs> and yeah, she's exactly. really like, not uh, played that way. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, is yeah, and that's a really good point about uh, usually when you have like a gothy teenage girl, it's usually played for the my god, how annoying is this this bratty girl who doesn't realize all the things she has? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, she's never. It's usually rarely ever played uh, for. I mean, like I said, she's the most straightforward, respected character in the whole movie. Where it's just like her her perspective is, I don't know. There's there's just never. It's never played as a joke. It's never played as a negative. It's it's, and that's that's kind of unique. No, definitely, man. I, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, totally. Yeah, but again, I think that to a certain extent, uh, this is the, this is Tim Burton inserting himself a little into the movie. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Uh, like with Edward Scissorhands. I mean, Edward Scissorhands is basically Tim Burton. Right. Uh, right. I think the Lydia character is Tim Burton's perspective. Mm -hmm. Is his it's his voice in the, the in the movie. Yeah, it's kind of like him getting to work through some of those issues and yeah. and have you see it from I think a vantage point of compassion and understanding instead of like we're saying instead of just being like, "Oh, you're a weird kid that's sad." <laughs> it's like Right, you're sad, but you shouldn't be sad cuz you have everything or whatever, yeah. you know, where it's like where people you know, people often don't 
look at, well, why is this person this way? Why do they see things this way? Why do they feel this way? Maybe they're, you know, you know, and they never try to be, I don't know, understanding in any way. It's usually just played for like roll your eyes laughs or, or just like, my God. Yeah. Like you said, teenage girls, ugh, you know, that kind of thing and not treated as serious and not treated as some, you know, a perspective worthy of respect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, did you have a, another scene that you kind of wanted to dive into? Uh, you know, I have to say that I think the, the final scene, um, that the, as they sort of defeat as, as, uh, Lydia releases Beetlejuice, right. With the, as they're exercising the Maitlands, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then she releases Beetlejuice, that whole sequence from the moment when they, uh, have their party and they bring out the wedding clothes and they start bringing them back, uh, has to be one of the most brilliant, like, I don't think it's like maybe 20 minutes, uh, ever put on film. Uh, just cause it's so, I mean, it's, we keep you saying bizarre, but it's bizarre. If you think about it, uh, I mean, just every little piece of it, uh, is it's, it's frantic and frenetic and crazy. I mean, with the, you know, the, they're coming back to life, but they're also dying at the same time, which is weird, <laughs> uh, but brilliant. I mean, you think about it, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so great within that universe with this sort of like exercised you know, the death for the dead kind of a thing, you know, the, the souls that have been exercised. Uh, and, and then it's just the pure crazy of Beetlejuice comes out in that scene where he comes up as the, you know, creepy, uh, carnival character, merry-go-round thing that, yeah, you know, like people through the ceiling and it just, it goes off the rails in the best ways possible. I can't imagine like explaining the creatures in this scene to an artist and saying, okay, make this, make that. But, yeah, yeah. but it works okay, so well. Little... Like, yeah, I love how, uh, uh, Catherine O'Hare's, is that her name, right? Delia, by the way, that's her name in the movie. There uh, you go. <laughs> it's actually that's my mother's that. name. Oh yeah. Delia. <laughs> my mom, uh -oh. She says no, Delia, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure she would love the comparison, but, um, but yeah, Catherine O'Hara's character in this movie, uh, Delia, uh, she, she has this art that she insists early on in the movie on being in the house. And, um, it's a real sticking point to the ghosts. Um, they don't like their house being rearranged and walls being knocked down and all the other stuff they do. But it's funny the way that that plays into this last scene. It's kind of mm -hmm. like you, you see all this weird um, art and you kind of forget about it. And then when it comes to life and it's the uh, the witnesses and it like traps Delia right. and, and the husband. Um, the husband, because I couldn't remember his name, Charles. Because <laughs> um, who cares? Uh, but yeah, so when it grabs both of them, um, that part is really cool. I love the way that uh, it doesn't look like creatures that would be able to move, but that the way that they, I don't know, that claymation when they're like moving around is really cool. Plus the little, uh, I guess the, the efficient. Yes. Yeah, little I like, weird creature guy who looks like a weird alien thing or <laughs> just how bizarre. It's, it's like, so I know, weird. You know. Like, yeah, just all of a sudden he's there and he's just kind of like, all right. Time to get married. Like, wait, what? No, slow down. What's going on? Um, I always forget that he's coming. And then when I see him, I'm like, oh, yeah, this part's so weird. Like, and I, I find myself saying that a lot in the movie. Like, oh, my gosh, I love this part. It's so strange. Um, but, yeah, when you see the little efficient guy and then when it's over, he just kind of 
just kind of leaves. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of like bursts into flame and disappears. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my husband well, and was what's like, so great too is like, um, you know, the aesthetic of of all this this stuff is so. I don't know. It's like a bad acid trip. I mean, it's got this sort of psychedelic LSD thing going on with the weird, like warped sort of aesthetic too. Like when, you know, there's like the fireplace and, you know, they sort of open, you know, Beale just opens the fireplace so the efficient guy can come through, but it's not like it just sort of like gets bigger. It also has to go at some weird wonky angle and all this stuff. So it's like this weird sort of, like I said, this, this psychedelic part to it that, that, even plays out in the uh, in the sort of DMV of the netherworld, right? Mm-hmm. Where like the floors are all you know weird and and warped and just like and there's 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 definitely like this sort of I don't know like uh, like I said acid trip kind of thing to it that that makes it that much weirder than in in ways that it doesn't even necessarily need to be. But right. it adds to that sort of look and feel. And I love that last sequence just because, you know, Beetlejuice is is being crazy and he's like having, you know, second thoughts for a second. Oh, I really want to do it. Uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, uh, the Maitlands are trying to come get there and they keep trying to say Beetlejuice and he keeps doing stuff by, you know, he, he makes Adam's teeth fall out. Uh, and then, you know, he, he puts the zipper across. Uh, Barbara's mouth and then the the metal and they sends her to Saturn and it's just like all this insanity uh, that as a as a guy who's who's written you know uh, over a dozen films uh, I don't know that I could ever come up with a sequence that insane I yeah. mean it's just like it jumps around and it's the thing is is that if you think about it not a lot happens they're they're just they're trying to get married and the two people are trying to stop them right <laughs> And that's it. That's the entirety of the the thing. But it's like it's so well paced and it moves at such a great clip. Uh, and there's so much craziness happening uh, that it makes what is, in essence, a very tiny little simple scene into something that's just brilliant. And then again, and I mentioned this early on, uh, you know, he sends Adam to the model and he jumps in the little car and he races off the the edge of the model and he, he runs it into Beetlejuice's foot and it explodes, uh, in exactly the same way they, they spoiler spoiler alert. They take care of the giant Gila monster in the, the same, the film of the same name. Uh, that's a nice little reference to a cheesy fifties monster movie. Uh, and so you get all these little, little things that go through, uh, and it's just that whole sequence from the moment they start bringing them back is, is sheer brilliance and it's the perfect culmination of everything up to that point. Yeah. I wonder if another thing that's missing in some of his newer stuff is just this amount of like comedy and fun. Like when I think about like Willy Wonka or, you know, Alice in Wonderland, it feels like it's just the weird part, but it's yeah, not like the, a, the, the pace and like the comedic timing isn't there. Yeah. It, it feels forced in a yeah. way that it, doesn't in Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice never really feels forced. Um, and there's little touches too. And like, uh, I was just watching it, like I said, recently. Uh, and I, one of my favorite little, little bits, right. That is, is, is totally, uh, it's this, it's the littlest thing, but it's, it's a perfect example of, of the sort of humor and the weirdness of the movie is, you know, um, 
Lydia's talking to Beetlejuice as she's trying to, because the Adam and Barbara are on the other side trying to figure out ways to get them out uh, because they've been forced over there by their caseworker. Uh, and Lydia's trying to find them, and Beetlejuice is trying to talk them, you know, talk Lydia into letting him out. Uh, and he's sitting there, and he he says something along, along the lines of like. I don't know, this whole being dead stuff. And he sees a beetle, right, or a bug, and he grabs it and then <laughs> bites it, like bites it in half. And he's eating. He's like, nah, it's just too creepy. And it's just like, <laughs> it's one of those perfect little moments of like, um, yeah, it is creepy, but it's a lot more creepy. It's almost creepier that you just ate a bug, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's just, it, 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 it really shows that character in, in, for what it, what he is. Uh, and yet the way it's delivered, that line is so perfect. Ah, it's just too creepy, you know? <laughs> and, and so I don't know. Um, no, there's just so many sequences in that film that, uh, it really builds perfectly to that, that ending. Um, and then inexplicably, and this is another of those things that is just adds the weird, the weirdness in a way that shouldn't work, but does is the addition of Calypso music. Oh my gosh. I, I'm so excited that you were going to talk about, I, I wanted to talk about the dinner scene too. Cause, cause you, you hear this song, the Calypso song in the very beginning of the movie. I noticed that this time when he, when Alec Baldwin is like playing with the uh, model, you hear the song then yeah. and then it repeats. And then there's a different song at the very end, but they all sort of like, it's at the beginning, middle and end of the movie. You know, so it feels connected to the film and it's so weird. Yeah. (laughs) It's yeah. It's so out of left field because it's like of all forms of music. Why are these two obsessed with Calypso? They all It just seems so, yeah, it just (laughs) seems so out of character for what you would imagine. And I I think it's probably some of the first Calypso music anyone had ever, you know, I'd probably ever heard. Honestly, yeah. uh, was that movie? And I was like, what is this? This is awesome. Uh, and it's just, it's such a weird addition to an already <laughs> weird movie. But I think that's what makes it work is that it's, yeah, it's already weird. Why not throw in Calypso? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, one of my favorite scenes is, is the, uh, is the dinner scene. Um, and I like, you know, like when you watch it again, like the, the shrimp and everything. It's like a little too big. Their food already doesn't look real so that later it can like grab them. Um, But that whole thing is so bizarre. Like when they all start saying the words of the song, but they're like enjoying being possessed uh, by the couple. And I don't know. There's something about, there's so many movies that have like a completely misplaced musical number, but it always ends up being like the, the, one of the best parts of the movie, like, when you think of like Pulp Fiction or movies like that, that like don't need musical numbers or right. like uh, the big Lebowski. And then they end up kind of like being your favorite parts and part of what shoves that movie into not just being like a fun movie, but a movie that ends up being kind of timeless. You know, admittedly, and this is to bring it back to my own films. Uh, I made a couple of movies that I randomly put in musical interludes and nice. to this day, I still hear people like, Oh, my favorite part of that movie is when they just start singing. Yeah, it's there's like, just something about like okay. a song that's 
not supposed to be there that just like I don't know if it like gives you like maybe in this maybe in this movie you need like a break from how crazy it is or how weird it is and like hey let's dance for a little bit (laughs) well at the same time doubling down on the crazy (laughs) yeah it's like I don't know but um but yeah those are some of my favorite scenes the beginning and 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 the end and also in the end that crazy uniform that uh I never noticed that when I was a kid, but Winona Ryder is wearing like a school uniform, but then it also has like a gothic Lolita type skirt under it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, the movie's just like really cool too. Like not only is it weird, but it's in like a very cool way. I don't know. I don't even know how you accomplish that or how you know what's going to look cool and what doesn't, but it, it just does. I just, I feel like that movie in particular, just every little thing that could have gone right did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, it's, it's a weird stew but it's tasty, you know, it's, it's, it's like the things don't sound like, cause here's the thing, the more we describe it, right. Uh, based just from the beginning of, of the, the original sort of elevator pitch to, if you've never seen the movie and you're just <laughs> listening to us talking, the more we talk about it, the more I think people may be like, what in hell, how did any of this work? Uh, right. because it's like, oh, and then wait, Calypso, what? You know, it's just, <laughs> it's it's so out of left field, some of these things. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just the weird, I can, and the word weird keeps coming up because it's the only true way to describe it is that it's weird and amazing in so many ways. Uh, and I got to say, you know, from that dinner scene, one of the, you know, one of the great things that comes after that is then they try to find them and, you know, they actually unleash Beetlejuice at that point. And, you know, he turns, uh, the, the banister turns into the giant beetle headed Beetlejuice headed snake that almost kills, you know, Charles Dietz. Um, and you know, that's probably one of the darkest parts of the movie. Right. Right. Uh, and yet that snake, the, the special effects on that and stuff are so classic and so well done. Uh, and everything is practical and that's one of the beauties of it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just, it's such a weird movie. It is. You know, <laughs> the absurdity of like the, the wedding scene and even him going, you know, oh, should I do it? Should I not? I feel like they may have added that part because when you really stop and think about it, it's like a middle-aged man marrying a teenager. That's yeah. kind of disturbing. I mean, that seemed to happen a lot in the 80s because <laughs> I was thinking about it. I'm like, there's at least two family-centered uh, movies that have this in it where the main character the main villain is this super likable character that wants to marry a, a teenager uh this movie and like labyrinth you know david bowie yeah. is he, he's the bad guy of that movie and he wants to marry a, a child um <laughs> and like that's happening here as well but it's like undercut by the humor of it of him going like oh should i do it or should not which is i think that part's really funny because he's such a jerk and even just like the physicality of Beetlejuice, like, I don't know, you'd almost think if somebody was to say, like, start describing this character, like, he would look more, like, gaunt, maybe, like, okay, weird, creepy demon guy. But I love the fact that he's just like a, you know, like a middle-aged dude that's kind of like out of shape. Like, like for a some paunchy reason, middle-aged guy who's yeah, just kind of like, he's just kind of greasy. Yeah, exactly. Like, something yeah. about that makes it even funnier to me. I, I don't know. that. Like I said, I think if you were to, to, to write this more straight or maybe not have cast Michael Keaton, you would maybe hire some, like, wiry, evil guy that's, you know, more serious. But the fact that he's just, like, this goofy-looking, 
guy sort of no matter how crazy or how evil he seems i think that kind of pulls it back a little bit like the way he looks because i mean he's like undead but there's just something like fun and funny about about that character i think it also kind of speaks to what makes his character less scary is that he obviously has let himself go (laughs) and so like you're like, yeah, he might be scary, but he's probably going to throw out his back trying to be scary. So <laughs> we're probably safe. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, or like he doesn't care that much. Like you like, get the feeling care. the whole movie, like no matter what his end game is, it, it always feels like he doesn't really try that hard <laughs> to accomplish right. it. Right. Because he's kind of a he's kind of a lazy middle aged dude who just it's kind of given up <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And obviously he's just kind of trying to scam his way into whatever he doesn't. He doesn't really care. He's probably just, you know, and you even see it too. He's like you said, he's a, you'd mentioned him sort of being like a used car salesman or something, you know, it's at, at the end when he's sitting in the, the DMV as he has no problem, you know, taking the one guy's number. Um, and even then it turns on him and, you know, the last thing he says is, you know, this might be a good look for me, you know, cause he's just <laughs> like, eh, whatever. There's a certain part of him where it's just like, he's, he's serious, but it's like, he's serious, but he doesn't care that enough to be serious. Well, there's that weird commercial in the movie oh, yeah. that they watch about him. And I had read that that was based on like a local car salesman, which when I was watching it again, I was la- like, again, every time I watch this movie, I see something different and I laugh really hard. But I, I thought about, I'm like, it's so weird. They're explaining who Beetlejuice is and what his rules are and everything about him through like an ad. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. And so and his funny. little jingle makes no sense. <laughs> Like he's talking about like, oh, you know, come on down and, you know, free possessions and all these things. And then he's like, he, he sings his little jingle about how he'll eat anything you want him to eat. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, he'll swallow anything you want him to swallow. And it's like, what? That must you be know? from it, the commercial. Like I, I want to believe that, uh, that, that Tim that Burton saw that. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. They said like it was based on like some local ad. And I, I want to think that like Tim Burton saw that and went, that would be so fun. I'm going to take this stupid annoying ad and like put it in my movie and and just make it even more ridiculous like <laughs> I, I have to imagine that that little song was just like ad-libbed yeah he's like uh go all right <laughs> uh and because it makes it makes no sense it, it has nothing to do with anything about eating what you want him to eat it's like <laughs> and it just makes me laugh every time you see that and he's got the the cheesy shades and the, the cowboy hat and the whole thing and yeah i don't know there's just uh, that movie's it's literally it's probably it's it's absolutely up there as one of my favorite movies of all time yeah same here i i think i even kind of remember a local there were a couple local car salesman ads where there would be sort of like a cartoonish character like that like there was a guy that had a giant cowboy hat and like giant shades to where they were like big plastic giant like shades you would get like i don't know like at a carnival or something but I feel like maybe that was like a big thing around that time was like local commercials. Maybe. And I got to wonder, did that work? <laughs> I mean, it must like, have because everyone did it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, should I start perhaps doing like cheesy car salesman <laughs> type like uh, commercials for my films and perhaps see if there's a there's a spike. <laughs> it couldn't uh, hurt, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I'm just going to have to do it. <laughs> well, um, I. Were there any other uh, scenes that you wanted to discuss? I honestly think we pretty much covered we, almost the entire film at we, this point. We did. It just felt it felt so fast. But I mean, yeah, I guess and, the movie and, is and fast. completely out of order. But yeah, uh, uh, that's fine. 
it's fine. <laughs> I think I think listeners have seen this movie a lot. And I think they will appreciate the conversation. And, and yeah. honestly, again, if you've never seen this movie and you're listening to what's us wrong talk, with you? <laughs> um, yeah, for one, what's wrong with you? Uh, but for two, um, don't let us talk you out of it. <laughs> <laughs> we've just made it sound even weirder than it is. And if I can get in one quick plug yeah, um, for uh, uh, some friends of mine, um, a couple years ago, uh, a couple friends of mine did, um, uh, you know, there, there's, there's other, and this is, this is me promoting other podcasts. I hope that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, the, the, there was the star Wars minute where they took star Wars and they broke it down minute by minute per show. Uh, a couple friends of mine actually did the Beetlejuice Minute. Oh, nice. Uh, and went through the entire movie, and I was a guest on a couple of the episodes. So if you get a chance and look up the Beetlejuice Minute, you can hear the entirety of Beetlejuice broken down minute by minute uh, in a podcast. And it's very entertaining, and the hosts do a really great, great job analyzing it and really going through it. Uh, and there's some good guests, including yours truly. Uh, so if you get a chance, look it up, uh, Beetlejuice Minute. I'm going to have to look that up. That is an ambitious undertaking. And I do think this is one of those movies that you could definitely take minute by minute. Absolutely. Um, which kind of brings me to my last two questions. I mean, I feel like this entire time that we've been talking about it, you've sort of been answering these two questions. But just to summarize it, what about this movie keeps you coming back to it? You know, uh, some of it is, is just the, the again, I think it's a perfect movie. I think there's there's really nothing wrong with it. Um there's nothing about it that, uh, I don't know. There's nothing about it that bothers me. I, I think to me, it's just, it's a, it's a piece of my childhood. Um, and honestly, it was one of the first movies that really grabbed me and I think became a movie for me that really sort of spoke to me specifically, uh, in just being sort of, a sort of a mopey kid that I was, uh, <laughs> sort of like a weirdo creative type kid. Uh, it really did kind of speak to me. Um, uh, and, and, and as a result, I've been a big fan of Tim Burton ever since. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a Halloween thing tradition now. Every, every October I watch it, uh, just as a, as sort of part of my Halloween movies. Um, I just, I, I, I love it. It's, it's literally one of my favorite movies of, of all time. And, um, they're just, there's, there's very little wrong with it. And, uh, I will say that. Uh, even just watching it recently, and it was just uh, earlier, a couple days ago, uh, I watched it again because we were doing this and I wanted to be make sure it was fresh in my mind, but just because it's October, so I had to watch it anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I noticed a, a line that I never, that never registered with me before, and it made me laugh because I realized how funny it was. Uh, and I actually posted it on Facebook just because it was so funny, um, where uh, it's after, um, they've been sort of attacked and, uh, uh, the Dietzes are sitting outside and Otho's there and they're discussing what to do. And, and Otho's sort of coming up with ideas and Charles just says, what are you going to do? Otho viciously rearrange their environment. And I'd never, ever caught that line before. Like it's just never registered. And for some reason, it just came across as so funny to me. And I don't know if it's just something I only caught now that I'm in my forties, but it was just funny. Uh, and I was like, wow, I've never really, that never registered as a joke before, <laughs> or it's just like, I've never, it's like, you just, I've seen it a million times, you know, 
And it's just like, I'm just now noticing, oh, that's a really funny line. <laughs> well, it's funny because they're making fun of him. And then it's also funny because it, it is what happened. Exactly. <laughs> Another one of those lines where they're just exactly stating what's true. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, what would you say to someone that's never seen it before? If not this, you know, us frantically explaining it. <laughs> what, what, uh, honestly, how would you pitch I it? Just, you know, I just... I, I would pitch it honestly as like the perfect Halloween movie, honestly, um, just because it, it deals with, you know, cheesy sort of, and it's, it's, it's kid safe. I mean, especially by today's standards, it is kid safe. Uh, so I, I never have any problem suggesting it to, you know, uh, parents, uh, who have kids that want to maybe show them some scary Halloween movies that are appropriate for kids. Uh, but there's a lot more levels to it. Uh, so often I just, if I'm going to, if I'm going to sell it, I mean, um, you know, I'm just, I tell them, you know, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, and it's, it's absolutely worth seeing if you've never seen it, uh, which I find hard to believe, uh, in this day and age for as long as it's been, I mean, this is the 30th anniversary this year. Um, so yeah, honestly, just, it's, I usually just, if I'm going to try and sell it to someone, it's like, it's one of my favorite movies. If you like my films, if you like sort of, you know, if you, if you have a heart and you like fun, see this movie. I, I have to agree with that. Yeah, we, we didn't even mention that. It is the 30th anniversary this year. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you in that, you know, what keeps me coming back to this movie is it, it just, it does feel like a classic ho Halloween film. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and doing this episode. I know we talked about it forever. Sorry, it took me so long to make it happen. <laughs> but I'm so That's glad right. we did it around Halloween because it's like the perfect time for it. It's a perfect time for your movies as well. So. Yeah. So yeah, if I can, I'll just say uh, people out there listening to this, uh, if you like cheesy movies, please check my, my stuff out, uh, at my website at St. Euphoria.com, which is my production company all spelled out. If you can't spell St. Euphoria, because some people can't, if you go to the giant spider.com, it'll get you where you need to be. Awesome. And yes, you definitely have to come back and talk about uh, Edward Scissorhands. We'll just we'll just go through the entire. Tim I Burton was going to say I really want to do Ed Wood, just, and I feel like there's not that many people out there that would want to talk about that movie, and I really do. So that would be another one. Okay, list well, I'll just say right now, uh, whoever's listening, who's like, I'll talk about Ed Wood. I'm calling dibs. I get Ed Wood. Uh, <laughs> it's too perfect. Yeah, <laughs> because it's Tim Burton, uh, but also because I'm, you know, I mean, I make cheesy monster movies i mean come on uh yeah, does that give me a special it. perspective <laughs> <laughs> i agree yes well, no I, I i will absolutely would love to come back and talk about ed wood because that like i said earlier i i i think that's tim burton's absolute best film uh just from a a filmmaking standpoint um it's just it's perfect in so many ways right uh, it's like heartbreaking but also beautiful but also yeah i, I love that movie and as a and as a person who loves, uh, you know, movies of that era, the whole the Bela Lugosi part and yeah. just all, uh, and that sort of piece of that, that era of filmmaking, um, really, you know, speaks to me. Uh, and in fact, it's one of my uh, inspirations for wanting to make cheesy movies, um, because there's a scene in it um, where he's doing uh, he's filming Glenn or Glenda and they're. And this is a this is a preview of the episode, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
there he's filming Glenn and Glenda and he's doing it sort of without permits and the cops show up and they're like, what do we do? And he's like, run. Uh, and it's like this great sort of guerrilla filmmaking thing. And I remember when I was watching that, I was like, you know what? That's totally how I would make movies. I should make movies. I should make movies like this. I want to make a cheesy movie. And then it totally like went off the rails. And that's what I did for now 13 years running. Wow. Yeah, I, I think that uh, when that movie came out, it was way before people were sort of taking a look at, at someone like Ed Wood and, right. and, and really examining that in a positive way, like somebody who's oh, yeah. an outsider in Hollywood that people think of as a failure, but he's a success in that he's living the dream and he's doing what he wants to do and he's a great friend and like just that whole concept was just... I don't think anyone was making movies like that back then, which now that movie, I, I've always wondered if that movie will suddenly get popular again, because I think now people would really get it more uh, because there are so many um, projects now that people really appreciate and grow to love and, and love these cult horror and cult sci-fi classics. I think there's a bigger audience for that now. Absolutely. Back then. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, we need to talk about that. Well, so, yeah, yeah. I called Dibs. <laughs> okay, you called Dibs. I get Ed Wood. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I, I've been wanting to ask you that for a while, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, well, once again, Christopher, thank you so much for taking time out to, to be on the show. I, I can't thank you enough. I love having you on here and love seeing your film. So, anytime that you're available, I'm, I really appreciate it. And I, I hope to Sounds see good. you soon. Yeah, I hope to see you. Uh, come, come on down. Don't forget, WaxCon. Yep. I'll be Waxahachie, November 3rd and 4th. Uh, but uh, hopefully I can run into you somewhere along the line. There you go. All right. Well, have a good night. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.